Big Finish for the love of stories. You're listening to the Big Finish podcast. Release date Sunday, the 30th of October, 2022. Access point, access point. Ah, this looks good. What? That doesn't. Who are you? You don't know? Of course you don't know. I'm no one. Why would you know? You are the one who attempted to trap us in the command center. Actually, yes. You might remember me from there. That is one of my recent credits. Though I'd like to think I succeeded at least for a little while. You are a scientist? A scientist? Amongst other things. You are one of the scientists from this station? Oh. Does it show? And there I was, thinking I was anonymous. Then you will come with us. Your assistance is required. Assistance, eh? Good morning, afternoon Ah. and evening. I'm Benji Clifford, he's Nick Briggs. This is Big Finish. Audiobooks, audio drama and this podcast all for the love of stories. And it's mostly about the 8th Doctor, Paul McGann, this week. Although coming up any second now, the Good Review Guide will be taking a look at the 9th Doctor, Lost Warriors, starring Christopher Eccleston. Doctor. Yeah, now, stand still, because if that thing turns nasty, I don't want it to take your feet off. Then we go behind the scenes with Paradox of the Daleks by John Dorney for a time and mind-bending episode featuring Paul McGann and the chums battling his deadliest enemies in a very unexpected way. He is the enemy of the Daleks. Packed with quirky comment. <laughs> Listeners' emails arrive bang on time via the email address podcast at bigfinish.com. In our also available segment, we stay with the Eighth Doctor box set, What Lies Beneath, investigating the spookiness that is the Dolby Spook by Lauren Moon and Stuart Pringle, and of course, directed by Ken Bentley. <sighs> I'm in love with the talking mongoose, and I don't care who knows it. Then the Randomoid Selectatron will once again be giving you a 25% discount on a randomly selected Big Finish release. Benji, activate the top secret clip, please. Activate it. Imagine an ordinary house in an ordinary street. And then it'll be time to give you a free 15-minute drama tease. This week, it's the 8th Doctor Adventures Paradox of the Daleks by John Dorney. Okay, so we're running. Increasing power. Temporal circuits engaged. Central control systems active. Portal opening. And open. So you worked on this 8th Doctor box set, didn't you, Benji? What did you do? I certainly did, yeah. I was on sound design, sound duties for this one. Great fun, as always. It always is with the Daleks, isn't it? I love a bit of Dalek action. Um, with this one and of course the the Dolby Spook giving it that lovely sort of spooky house vibe and lots going on there lots of uh, uh, all set on the moors as well so you've got all lovely landscape I'm I'm looking forward to listening to that I remember the storyline when when I approved it uh, was rather good I thought they're both they're both great stories and they're both really fun especially the um paradox of the daleks is is quite quite bonkers really <laughs> yeah um, no. loads and loads <laughs> of things going on um but again you know it's always nice to do dalecky bits and bobs i always really enjoy it um you know who doesn't who doesn't get into doing doctor who things if they if they don't get to work on the daleks so that's always fun very, very good point. Very good yes, point. Yes, I, I think so. I think so. As always, I've I've trawled through the the archives of Doctor Who to find any obscure little Dalek Easter eggs to pop in at various <laughs> opportunities. I love it. I love doing that because we look forward to that. Ninety eight percent of people don't know, and then just somebody will say, "Is that from?" And it's like, "Yes, it is." Thank you very much. <laughs> By the way, uh, in the last podcast, we did a lot of talking about nineteen eighties music, particularly uh, Julian Cope. Oh yes, we the did. Te- yeah, teardrop explodes. Any any nineteen eighties music you want to mention this time round? Always Thomas Dolby. Thomas oh, Dolby. You blinded me with science. I, yeah, absolutely, Magnus Pike. Thank you very much. Um, abs- I, honestly, when I discovered Thomas Dolby for the first time, uh, it was actually in the pandemic. I was walking and my Spotify came on, and it came on with them. Um, it wasn't blinded me with science. It was. Um, Another song I think called Hot Sauce and then Hyperactive. Oh. And I heard these songs. Oh, I love it. And I heard it and I I suddenly 
have one of these things. I thought, this guy writes music exactly how I write music. Like, he, we have the same... I know exactly where he's going with it, if that makes sense. I think he's going to do this now. And and so it really it really kind of resonated with me. So I love a bit of Thomas Dolby. Well, can I give you a clue to identify another 80s electronic band? Okay, here's the clue. It's, it's uh, a man using a vacuum cleaner with the lights off, and he's got two birds of prey balanced on him. What's that? Vacuum cleaner with the lights off with two birds of prey? Yeah. Shall I tell no, you? You have, to, you have to. It's Hawk Kestrel Man Hoovers in the Dark. Oh, for God's <laughs> sake. Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark. Oh, very, okay. that, that was the most partridge thing ever. That was super. <laughs> of course, Hawk Kestrel... Oh, that was that was uh, I think Simon Bates or someone I don't know said that on Radio One back in the day because I am back that old and remember all that nonsense. Yeah, I love a bit of OMD though. Fantastic. Yeah, band. Enola Gay is a fantastic track, isn't it? Do, 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 do. It's absolutely. You know, I remember the anticipation that... for it coming out. It was they were saying a new single from from OMD is coming out next Monday or something. We were all terribly excited. I remember my. Um, uh, my sort of roommate in my digs for drama school. Uh, well, it was it? Yeah, no, he was a roommate. Yeah, there were two beds in the room. I remember. Goodness me, those were the days. It's like sleeping in a boy's dormitory. Uh, yeah, and he bought the records, and we we just played it endlessly. I mean, endlessly. But the, but after about three weeks, it was really yeah because the needle like had scraped over it so many times. Well, that's the problem with vinyl, isn't it? Every time you listen to it, it, it degrades a certain level. And then you destroy it, yes. You Wouldn't destroy that be awful, the very you know, things you love. Exactly. Uh, right. No, the gay is a great song because um, it's that that explosion of sound when it when you get the big the big crescendo and the, it's 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 you know there's a reason why whenever a documentary is is talking about. Um, about you know the 80s they often use that song don't they that song or cars they often use don't oh they? yeah yeah um possibly a bit of human league tend Definitely. to be the ones that they in fact i was watching a fantastic program um which i recommend to everybody i'll just double check i've got the name correct it's on by the, the way BBC i always two. say human league not human league it's the human league no that's the human league the human league right in to podcast at bigfinish.com and tell us what should be stressed, the human or the league? Well, the, well it's a very, it's a very good question. But you and but I the, often stress things differently, don't you? There was, yes, we do. Yeah, yes, we do. <laughs> Have I told yes. you that awful joke about an actor who couldn't do uh, stressing properly, couldn't stress the right words? You it's have, but tell it to everybody because it's great. It's a terrible joke. I try and tell it as quickly as possible. There was an actor who was doing uh, a repertory season, and one of the actors in the company was driving him mad because he stressed all the wrong words all the time. I'll just answer the telephone <laughs> and things like that, you know. So eventually, he, he just lost all perspective and decided. And they were in a seaside resort. And he decided to end his days, so he just went to the <laughs> went to the beach, took all his clothes off, and just walked into the water with the intention of just drowning. And as he was out just reaching the water just reaching his chin he just looked round to the shore and he saw this actor um running to the shore and he was waving to him he said what's he saying and, and then he finally heard what he was saying <laughs> he was saying you've got your watch on <laughs> <laughs> anyway <laughs> i do love when people stress the wrong things though it is it wrong is things just- just some sometimes i think it's you notice it a lot as well the thing i've noticed with languages um there are some people now who just end everything up. Yes. So when they speak, they sort of talk like this, and everything ends like that. It's the Australian thing of going up at the end, going like up that. at the end, just going down the road. Yeah. It's funny, yeah. isn't it? Like you know, well, it's how, yes, how... more more. I think I always found it funny when um, there was uh, uh, a particular actor I worked with who will remain, of course, nameless. Could never do those if their line was. Um, I really want to be with you, but and then the person interrupts you, interrupts them. They could never. They always used to say, "I really want to be with you, but." <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, so they anticipate it. Yeah. Oh no. Or, and the other thing this person couldn't do was interrupt you. So if you had a line that they had to interrupt, so I, you know, I, I always have something in my mind to continue saying that the other actor can cut me off. But with this person, I, I remember one particular performance of a play. I just carried on and they were unable to interrupt me 
and I could see that their, their lips quivering. They were looking at me, and I, I'd said a whole paragraph of improvised stuff, <laughs> looking at them as if to say, "Are you gonna interrupt Save me? Save me, rescue me!" Yeah. I eventually just got to the end of this very inventive speech, and then stopped, and then they were able to carry on. That's funny, isn't it? Some people just can't do it. <laughs> and there's that. There's that. When you're editing a Doctor Who play, or you know any play, there's if somebody's being interrupted, there's a real moment of because it's because there's a real moments of having to judge whether they're being interrupted or whether it's a very quick succession of words. Yes, yes. And that's always really hard to tell because sometimes it can sound really good as a quick succession of words. Like yes. You know. Well, you've got to judge that, can't you? I mean, I quite often in, in the edit ask the editors to, to make the interrupts more of an interrupt because actors sometimes don't cut over each other in time. And I always say to them in studio, I say to the actors, don't worry, we can we can fix that in post but yeah it's an interesting one i quite often write lines where i, I realize where i do a dot 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 where i just want someone to trail off but not be interrupted and you'll often find that actors will take that as the cue to interrupt so i now put in brackets let, let's him dribble to a halt or something i put yeah let's him run out of steam stuff like that uh, and and then you know because you have that thing where someone says well i mean the reason i didn't come over was because well i i, I just so you haven't got a reason the next person says so they it's let them stop on. you know um so all those things are quite fun it's all like it's like orchestrating isn't it in a way it's working which instrument is playing at which time but it's funny velocity. as well because like even that can be interpreted different ways because i've seen people that use the ellipsis which is the three dots isn't it as as, as almost as an open-ended question it's ah, like yeah, a question yeah. mark isn't it so you could say you know so where have you been dot 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 yeah which is it which is a uh, I guess it's yeah. It was Terry Nation's favourite bit of punctuation. If you look at Terry Nation's scripts, uh, Johnny Morris pointed this out to me years ago. He said you can always tell whether it's a Terry Nation script or not because the only bit of punctuation he ever knew was the ellipsis. It's just every <laughs> everything. There are dot dot dots everywhere. That is a massive exa exaggeration. If anyone from the Terry Nation estate is listening, I apologise profusely. <laughs> Interesting question. There, we're really going off on a tangent, but that's what it's the all about. He probably wouldn't have done it in the first script, but once the Daleks were established as talking like this, you know, especially in the 60s where they were very truncated, I think is the word. Staccato. Staccato, thank you. Um, were they were they written at any point like that on the pages? Do you know, I don't know off the top of my head. Write in and let us know at podcast at bigfinish.com, folks. Because it feels like at some point... It feels like it's some. It wouldn't have in the first story. That wouldn't have happened because they wouldn't have even thought about it. Them particularly sounding. Yes, like I that. don't know. But then in, at the height of Dalek mania, it feels to me like maybe that would have happened. And then once people got over it, they just typed them normally. But interesting thought. I just yes, I don't know. Um, I know the other day I was acting in a script written by Simon Gurrier, and the Daleks were, their dialogue was all written in capitals. I said, this is a I've bit seen odd. people do that, yeah. I've seen yeah, people Simon do said, that. I always write them in capitals. I said, oh, God, I'm really shouting all the time, aren't I? Going back to the whole synthesizer stuff. Um, <laughs> yes. Can you see behind me here? I don't know whether I can. Can you see that? What? Oh, no, you can't. Can you? I can see, I can see some synthesizers. Can you, can you see I can't. it? Oh, just, I can't, I can't see on the screen whether you can see it or not. Is that a large Korg unit? Yes, it is. It yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, there it is. I've been using that in the first Doctor Adventures just to make some analog. very basic sounds and then do sort of radiophonic editing of the sound, you know, and, and speeding it up and slowing it down and ring modulating it. And yeah, I just created the most awful noise last night. It may it may end up in the in the next episode. Well, the thing about about synthesizers is, and it's and it's that thing where I never want to believe it when you say that they sound better. The real thing sounds better because I think synth synthesized things on computers sound brilliant. But I have to say, when I have used, and I tend to use my synth for sound effects rather than music, yeah, actually, because I find that I, I really enjoy the the, the hands-on approach of sci-fi sounds. I have to say, whenever I've used the real deal, it does sound better. And I don't know why or what, what it is about that circuitry. Or you just want all the sounds... system hiss, don't that you get? That, don't you? That you get I love from, that that thing, that cog, and half it makes a noise like a refrigerator. You know. Well, the, I remember the worst thing ever. We were recording. Um, we were recording in the winter, and it was for an album. And um, the synthesizer we had, we had an, a cog, 
my Korg Minilog, which looks like it says Kylie Minogue, and, um, <laughs> and a micro Korg. And the thing that people forget about, especially these older synthesizers, I mean, these are two relatively new synthesizers, is that if the temperature is extremely cold, mm. they will go out of tune. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've experienced that Yeah, with a mini Moog, yeah. And but, but you oh, don't no, assume Moog that. Rogue. Yeah, the Moog Rogue used to go out of tune at, uh, yeah. Isn't that, it's funny. It's a weird, it's a bizarre thing that you don't think about until you're in it. You think, of course, they go out of tune. And especially with the Minilog, the, the actual, um, the casing is metal. It's got metal casing. So, of course, if it's cold, it's a silly, really, because, I mean, it looks lovely, you know, but when you think about it, it's, it's quite silly because if it's very cold, it's going to get colder because it's freezing yeah. cold to touch. So, it's, yeah. so, yeah, that was an awful thing of having to try and warm up the synthesizers and keep them in tune all the time. Well, the trouble is when they when they overheat as well, that, that alters the tuning. Yeah, it's exactly the same I remember years ago, you know, back for audio visuals and uh, Jim Mortimer was, you know, had a, a the Moog Rogue set up to do a sort of sequence in the background, you know, something in the background. And he was playing over it with other keyboards. And then after we'd been doing it for a while, he went, hold on a sec. That's not in tune anymore. I know he had to adjust the tuning of it because he said it, it sounded awful next to the lead line. You know, it just snuck up a bit, a bit, well, sharp, just, a bit sharp. It's the worst thing if you're playing live and that happens. What can you do? And then everybody goes away and says, "God, they, he can play keyboard." <laughs> you know, think, well, you, I mean, you just him. have to have a good ear, don't you, and retune it because there is a tuning knob on all of them. There isn't is. There, you know? Yeah, you've just got to be on it. You know, but. There we go, listeners. That is the, <laughs> the trials and tribulations of old technology. And just to quickly touch on what I was saying, I recommend a program that was on BBC Two called The Home That Two Built. Uh, it was on a few years ago, um, but it's a real um, dive at, at, I guess, life, you know, from 60s onwards about, you know, uh, the BBC and, and how it's it's impacted upon culture. Oh. And it's brilliant. It's all it's got all stuff like it had a, a section all about how Fanny Craddock changed cooking and yeah. about how the, and how the, the in the sixties there was a DIY boom and everybody was, you know, all these beautiful old Victorian doors are being boarded up with stuff. But it's all about that and music and, and everything and, and it's I'd recommend it if you like sort of like me, anything to do with sort of history and technology and culture. Fanny uh, Craddock. I, I didn't mention the the actual thing that happened happened at the end of a Fanny Craddock program, where Johnny, her husband, when they'd been making donuts, he said, "Well, I hope you enjoy that, and I I hope all your donuts end up looking like Fanny's." <laughs> anyway, moving swiftly on. <laughs> yes, I I think I think we must. I think we must. Uh, well, now of course it's time for the good review guide, finding the latest positive comments about Big Finish Productions to help recommend them for you. And as promised this week, we're looking at the Ninth Doctor Adventures, Lost Warriors. From Big Finish Productions, Doctor Who, the Ninth Doctor Adventures, Lost Warriors. Do you suppose it's safe to be out of doors? Safe now, I should think. They only seem to come out at night. The stranger stared at the sheriff. What? 1925? Come on, I can't be far out. Look at the state here. Look at the state of us. 1925? Why do you keep saying that? I want to talk about your butler. Stratton. Something moves in the nest. Don't look at it. Hello, ladies. <gasps> and now? I do beg your pardon. I am Queen Cluach. Oh, you're much more than that. You're Lady Macbeth. Tell this demon to leave her home. Pass that. Tell her to get out of here. Well, we've attracted an audience. The pitchfork kind. I'm not afraid of you, blue man. I know what you bring, and I know your limits. Oh, I'm glad someone does. And the doctor. Doctor. Yeah, now, stand still, cos if that thing turns nasty, I don't want it to take your feet off. <laughs> Lights. Roll camera. Actors, go. Look at it. The pinnacle of silent film. As opposed to what other sort? Your machine man. I need it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Herr Lang, I promise you will not regret this. You're making Metropolis. <sighs> of course. Everyone knows this. Fantastic. Fritz Lang. Actual Fritz Lang. I've got a knack. I'm good with lost things. I'm sure you are. 
lovely and shiny. Good God! Big Finish. We love stories. Well, just go to bigfinish.com and type Lost Warriors into the search pane to find this one. Where are they? So first one here uh, is from Blog to Who and it's famous 1970s actor Peter Nolan <laughs> who says, uh, The three stories in the Lost Warriors collection reflect a very special time in Doctor Who history. They contain heartfelt emotion and huge laughs, grotesque monsters and bravura action scenes. Ooh, lovely. Uh, all in all, it's like a time corridor straight back to the wonderful world of 2005. Uh, and the news that Christopher Eccleston is already recording a second series of box sets can only help solidify the Ninth Doctor Adventures' place as one of the most exciting things on the Big Finish calendar. Oh, the Big Finish calendar, not available from stores. Um, <laughs> WhoReview.com, uh, a non-applicable person, said, uh, Christopher Eccleston's performance is, as a certain Time Lord would say, fantastic throughout, but comes to a head in his electrifying first conference with the Cybermen in Monsters in Metropolis. Oh, that was great fun to do. Which might just be the strongest Big Finish story of the year. Highly recommended. Four stars or stubbing of toe. I'm not sure. You never know with that, do you really? Well, Indie Mac user Jacob Licklider says, Like Responsible Calls before it, there is a distinctive directorial style at the helm with Barnaby Edwards taking that seat. Give it and back. Eccleston can let loose very human performances as the Night Doctor going through three stories where he has to see reflections of himself and is perhaps the closest in tone to Series 1, making it one of the best releases from Big Finish this year. Nine out of ten. That's a long sentence, wasn't it? <laughs> Cultbox.co.uk Ian McArdle Barnaby Edwards directs a diverse and tremendously engaging set of stories and he clearly has an excellent ear for casting he's got an excellent ear for casting just as the time war haunts this doctor so are the survivors of this set troubled respective wartime experiences shape the lives of those who take part as well as those who surround them and this is four and a half stars or oh, it's five stars and one of them has a sort of blue and white bit on it so as we the gradient, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I think it's probably worth seven stars, that. Yeah, 100%. Well, we could ask 100%. Nissa McKinnon about it. She's an expert on these things. Well, Nissa does the maths, you know. <laughs> we made this network.com TD Velasquez. Velasquez, Velasque, how would you say that? Velasquez? Velasquez, so apologise, I just can't read names. Um, with Eccleston in genuine Ask Me Anything, I'm on fire mode, <laughs> and given strips and supporting cast match him, it's tempting to say that the Night Doctor has never been better. This is perfect Doctor Who. Uh, never been Brilliant. a better bit of butter. Uh, uh Matthew Kressel, uh, the best Ninth Doctor Adventures release yet, and a serious contender for Big Finish's top Doctor Who release of 2021. So close you can feel its fire. Well, setthetape.com, Lee Thacker, son of Mr. Thacker, my old teacher, says <laughs> Lost Warriors is yet another soaring success from Big Finish and shows the Ninth Doctor Adventures still on an upward trajectory. You can tell Eccleston is genuinely engaged with the material and his passion and enthusiasm simply shines through, mm. taking the audience right along with him. So, yeah. We definitely want to come with him, especially if we can get more stories of this calibre. That's a five stars. That's Proper great. not messing around there. On Twitter, RamarRarR, at Andrew on CR, says the perfect hashtag Doctor Who Day gift from Big Finish. Lost Warriors has delivered a unique variety of adventures with the Ninth Doctor himself, Christopher Eccleston taking the helm once again. The acting, the storytelling, the Cybermen, a fantastic box set indeed. We're saying buy it if you haven't. So that's yeah, what we're saying. It's hard sound, I mean, straight for up, goodness go sake, for this sounds Get like it. it's good or something. Yeah, I mean, Hecky Ben says, just finished listening to Night Doctor Adventures Lost Warriors, the third box set with yeah. the Doctor Nine, Chris Eccleston. Uh, there's very little to say here because this range is absolutely brilliant and contains some of the best big finished Doctor Who content of the last year. I mean, if that doesn't sell it to you, then, you know, what, what are will? you doing? What, what are you doing? What are you what, doing? What are you doing? Are you uh, being served? <laughs> <laughs> At Tom Housen twelve eighteen says the Ninth Doctor's latest big finish adventures, Lost Warriors, is a fun set of very enjoyable stories. Barnaby Edwards' direction and sound design is so atmospheric throughout, all delivered by a wonderful cast in every story. And of course, at Tom Webster, cover art is beautiful. Good old Tom. 
Long Justin gone. Justin B. Quinnick says, hmm? "Long gone now. Yes, Long doesn't gone. work for Big Finish anymore. He's flying. He's, he's off. He's off on his adventures." Well, Justin B. Quinnick, uh, this set is peak Eccleston. The three stories within transcends just great big finish. They're better than the majority of his on-screen stories. I wow. say, outrageous. Um, uh, big, big claim. Mm-hmm. Well, Justin said it, not us. Uh, that's it for the reviews this week. Uh, next time, we'll be talking about Survivors, the, uh, the audiobook Ghosts and Demons, and the full cast audio drama New Dawn One. Still to come on the podcast, listeners' emails, and we'll be giving you a 25% discount on a randomly selected Big Finish release. That's the Randomoid Selectatron, isn't it? Oh, yeah. But first, let us delve behind the scenes with Paradox of the Daleks. Hi, I'm David Richardson. I'm the producer of The Eighth Doctor Adventures. Hello? Anyone home? We're here to help. Intruders! Out, out now! Exterminate! It's a brand new start for the Eighth Doctor. Um, I've been producing this range for 10 years now, and throughout that time, the box sets have been part of an ongoing series. I mean, each box set has been a part of a four box set run. Those four box set runs have also been part of a bigger picture. So I think over that time, is it 64 episodes of stories tied together? Yeah, it was a, it was a big run with some fantastic interlinked plots and we got to the end of Stranded and I just thought actually it was time for a new direction. We could have carried on doing more of the same but I didn't want to. I wanted to start again, do completely standalone stories and just have lots of contrast, changes of tone and different places, different times and just do what Doctor Who does best. Get out there, have adventures and just allow Nicola and Hattie to do the sort of stories, really. They haven't had that much chance to do a big finish because a lot of it has been very character-based, which has been fantastic, and there's been so much to explore and so much for them to play. But I know they love the adventure side of it as well. I know Nicola loves most of all the scenes where she's charging down a corridor, firing a sonic screwdriver or running away from Daleks. You know, it's the it's sort of adventurous stuff that actors don't really get to do anywhere else. So we wanted to kick off this brand new start with a big Dalek two-parter. Helen's never met the Daleks before, so it was a chance to put Helen out there and, and let her meet them. And a chance for um, Liv to meet them again, because one of her first stories way back in Dark Eyes 2, we met her on a planet ruled by Daleks. So, um, yeah, it's going back to the origins for Liv and going somewhere new for Helen. I am Paul McGann, and I am Doctor Number Eight. He is the Doctor. He is the enemy of the Daleks. They figured out who you are. Yes. Uh, Hi there. Uh, Yes, I'm really not sure how your colleagues missed that. The Doctor is an enemy of the Daleks. The Doctor must be exterminated. Come on, it's always, it's always, it's the real deal working with the Daleks, you know. And it's good that we don't, you know, that it's quite rare as well. You know, you wouldn't want to work with the Daleks every, you know, second or third episode, would you? That would, that would just, somehow that would just slightly ruin it. You know, when you get to work with the Daleks, it's it's actually quite tricky to remember the last time you worked with the Daleks, and that's probably how it should be. That was great. It's great. And there's a couple of Daleks in it with um, with paint on there. Anyway, you'll have to listen to it to find out um, the story. Um, but always a privilege and a mad pleasure to work with the Daleks, the sworn enemy. It's like playing in a final. Hello, I'm John Dorney, and I wrote Paradox of the Daleks. Activate the machinery! Oh, come on, that was never 30 minutes. Ten tops. I would analyse your progress. Oh, yeah. Would you mind awfully if we didn't? It's all very much a work in progress. You know how it is. You don't want anyone to see an early draft. They'll end up giving you all manner of notes before you're ready. Could ruin the whole process. It's always quite good to start a new era by bringing in the Daleks, and uh, they're always going to be a bit of a crowd pleaser. And it's been a long time since we've had the Daleks in, uh, in the Eighth Doctor range, certainly the ongoing Eighth Doctor range, as opposed to say, the Time War stuff. It's as far back as you know, Dark Eyes, and uh, so that's good. 
uh, well, several years of Doom Coalition and onwards uh, where we've not had them. And to be fair, we haven't had much in the way of recurring monsters within those anyway. You know, there's the occasional Verd and uh, Jadoon, but it's it, it's been quite reserved on that front for a while. So it's, it's obviously a fun thing to bring them in. Uh, not least because Helen's never actually met them yet. My name is Nicola Walker and I play Livchenka. Back to the TARDIS! Seems as good a place as any. How'd they get ahead of us? They'd been here longer, they figured out the shortcuts. But how did they know where we were going? I've no idea, but it means they've hemmed us in. We've no way out. On the contrary. Follow me, follow me, quickly. Of course. They were the creatures of my nightmares as a child growing up. That was my first introduction to Doctor Who. The Daleks are the original for me. They're the terror that come and get you in the night. So I think that's really sort of mainlined into my brain from my childhood. But I think we still love them, not just because of that, but because they represent the concept of, oh, you know, an other life form that is seemingly a machine, but is actually more complicated than that. It ties into our fears about you know, enhanced life forms, part robotic, but part monomaniacal brain. I, I think that feeds into a lot of really um, primal fears we all have in the modern, modern age. And it always has done. Fear of the sort of fear of the future, isn't it, the Daleks? Fear of something coming that is more powerful than you, this other life form that's found a way to be more powerful than, than humans and is also more full of hatred. <laughs> Hello, my name is Hattie Morahan and I play Helen Sinclair. Most people who meet a Dalek don't get to meet anything else afterwards. A Dalek? They're called Daleks. Amongst other things. You've mentioned them before, I remember. The way you talk, they sounded like some kind of bogeyman. They're not exactly what I pictured. This is such a departure from the last few box sets we've done where the characters were literally stranded um, in Stranded and experiencing a very different kind of, kind of a lockdown, I guess. Experience in, you know, a world we all know in London and Baker Street and suddenly we could not have got further. It's, it's spaceships, Daleks, time travel, you know, all the things you might expect from a Doctor Who adventure. And you'll find this exciting Eighth Doctor adventure at bigfinish.com. Just type what lies inside into the search pane at the top to find it time now for uh, <coughs> listeners emails that's right and uh, well i mean you know you mm. want to know what lies inside it's lots of emails and uh-huh. you can add to that by sending an email to podcast at bigfinish.com Uh, First up, we've got one here from David Polson who says, Dear Nick and Benji, thanks again for the podcast, and even more thanks to Big Finish for the stories which give the podcast a reason to exist. Change (laughs) can be a bit worrying for we non-regenerating types, so I guess that many customers, and especially the international ones, are a bit concerned whether the news about the change in Doctor Who licensing arrangements is going to affect our favourite producer of Doctor Who audio stories. All we currently know down under in Tegan's homeland is that we'll have to tune into Disney Plus instead of good old auntie, the ABC, for our new TV episodes from now on. I'm sincerely hoping for everyone's sake that the new arrangements will not have a negative impact on Big Finish or our ability to access your brilliant creations into the future. I recall that Russell T Davies was highly supportive of your great work continuing when the new television series began, so I'm hoping that holds sway once again. Uh, If there is anything that you can share to help us buck up, uh, that would be fantastic. Uh, (laughs) Sincere thanks. David Paulson. Oh, great call back to buck up there. Um, yeah, I mean, Big Finish has a license t- with BBC Studios to produce Doctor Who audio drama and audiobooks uh, until 2030. That is unchanged. So, you know, it's all written It's all written down in grown-up writing, right, like by lawyers well, and signed by both parties. So uh, I don't think... It's uh, binding. Uh, yes, it's, the the uh, the business about Disney Plus doing international distribution for the television series from November 
2023, I don't think has, well, no, it doesn't have any impact on that. It's no bearing on it whatsoever. Um, this next one is from Matthew Mayhew, and his uh, title is uh, continuing a theme from last week, Punctuation and Narvin. Uh, Nick and Benji, the symbol, the squiggle dash, is called a tilde. That's how you tilde pronounce swindle. it. Tilde swindle. Yeah. T-I-L-D-E. That's what I was asking about because someone put it at the end of their email, didn't Tilled. they? To be, <laughs> to be... Would you like to say it again? Tiddled. Thank you. It's rather refreshing. Uh, to be fair, I only know it as it more often appears in mathematics and statistics as either to negate a logical statement or to denote something being similar to each other. Something being similar to each other. I'm not sure I understand that. I only use it when I'm coding up some statistical model in the R language. Do you know what the R language is? Um, I don't. Reading, writing and arithmetic. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't know. <laughs> I don't think it appears naturally in English, like English writing. We've got to look up what the, uh, the R language is. I was then. doing a bit of coding um, on a Linux system. This is very boring for everybody mm. yesterday. Oh, and th it uses a tilde in there. Uh, it's a programming language. That's what it is. Uh, commonly of course it is. He said he is doing Data it. analysis and scientific research. Oh. Interesting, yes. And you can learn it at codeacademy.com if you really wish. Excellent. Anyway. You join 45 million uh, learners doing the same. Learner drivers. Anyway, uh, in uh, Morris Miners. Back to who? I finished Gallifrey War Room Allegiance and love this extension of one of my favourite Big Finish spin-offs. Gallifrey is fantastically popular with people. It is interesting to explore uh, a bit more of what the Time Lords did during the war and explore concepts which might not fit with either the Eighth or War Doctors. It is the, the, the whole thing about Gallifrey and Time Lords... So many fans, are, it's just like their favourite thing. I especially enjoyed how Narvin's character grew since his last heroic act. I know release schedules are tight, but it would be interesting to have a Narvin and Eris spin-off, looking into what the Resistance got up to to fight both sides of the Time War, something I think Sean would be very happy in, in uh, judging by his recent tweets. Oh, he's a big supporter of his character. Hope that answers your questions. Now to wait the release of Kaleidoscope. What Garen Howell, who I know as Vlad Dracula from Young Dracula when I was young, is interpreting the role makes me anticipate this more. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, as you'll now know, Garen Howell is absolutely brilliant in Kaleidoscope. There, I said it without singing it. <laughs> well, talking of singing, it's Michael Arino. I know. Next up here. Uh, yours of the 23rd is the subject. Dear Nick and Benji, I listened to your latest podcast yesterday evening due to time though Time gnomes? Time gnome. Due to the, the time gnomes, gnomes of time. Hello. Um, due to time zones, it appears in Brooklyn five hours before you release it. It's been very timey-wimey. Wow. Lord. Isn't that incredible? And I just wanted to say thank you for my new ringtone. Michael uh, Marino. Marino. <laughs> um, <laughs> whilst I have your attention, uh, one other thing regarding Harlan Ellison. Uh, him again um, uh, apparently he wrote a serial for Doctor Who the two masters or maybe it was the three masters in any case no relation to John Dorney's story that I know of uh, that was not produced due to the hiatus I was just wondering whether you were aware of this and whether there's any chance we may hear it given the big finish treatment uh, keep up the good work and nonsense especially the nonsense yes <laughs> Michael Arino well, wow. you never know. Well, I just want to explain to anyone who's listening to the Big Finish podcast for the first time, we had a bit of fun with Michael Lorino last time. We invented an entire backstory for him that's uh, based entirely on thin air. Um, it's something to do with him being a singer and appearing on The X Factor. <laughs> and, make it, and singing the, uh, the theme tune to uh, a soap opera called Away Days, which was about people <laughs> going on holiday. Uh, and it was set in Margate, but filmed in Cardiff. <laughs> Off in the way, isn't it, quite frankly? Yeah. Oh, always happens, yeah. Um, so the two, I'd never heard that Harlan Ellison had written a script for Doctor Who and that it was intended for that season that got cancelled by uh, Michael Grade. I'm not sure. Goodness me. Well, tell us more. If anyone's got a copy of it, we, um, wouldn't it be great to do a Harlan Ellison script? It'd certainly be. I mean, the man was a, you know, is a legend. <laughs> He also featured in an episode of Scooby-Doo, which I mentioned before, but I just want to tell everyone that at every given opportunity. Anything oh, to add, Benji? Called Wayne a bird. Called Wayne a bird. That's all I'm going to say, really. What? What is? 
That's the name. Cor- isn't it? Oh, Cordwainer Bird. Oh, I see. I, see. That's all, I just wanted to say that, really. That's all. I thought you said, sorry, I didn't hear you very well. I thought you said Cordwainer Bird. It's called, well, yeah, that's the character called, called Wayner, Wayner Bird. <laughs> Hello, Wayner. Um, no, I've got nothing to add. I'm just very, very excited at the, the prospect of there potentially being a script. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is it for this week. What a fab crop of emails. I thought they were particularly good. Can you can you match that next week, folks? Please do your best. Or maybe it will just be one of those duff weeks when they're just rubbish emails. I don't know. You, It's it's in your hands, folks. <laughs> uh, more next time. Sent to podcast at bigfinish.com. Keep them coming. Well, the randomoid Electron is, of course, as I speak, gearing itself up to offer you a 25% discount on a randomly selected Big Finish release. Oh, I love it when it does that. Uh, but before that, we return to the Eighth Doctor for our also available segment, visiting the second release of this week's What Lies Inside box set with the Dolby Spook. I am Hattie Morahan, and I play Helen Sinclair. Doctor, this is Earth. 1930s Earth. He'll just be some end-of-the-peer table tapper. Oh, there are more things in heaven and Earth, Horatio. Oh, you've got to be kidding me. This transports us to a completely different world. The UK in the 30s, it feels very fresh going from, and unexpected going from battling Daleks on a spaceship to this kind of quaint and odd world with very eccentric characters and it's it's really beautifully colourful, the writing, and incredibly vividly conceived. I really enjoyed this one, actually. Yeah. Hi, my name is Stuart Pringle, and I'm the co-writer of The Dolby Spook. And I'm Lauren Mooney, and I'm the other co-writer of The Dolby Spook. So The Dolby Spook is uh, an episode that's inspired by the true, possibly true, um, somewhat true story of Jeff the Talking Mongoose, which was a sort of cause celeb that occurred in the 1930s in the UK after the family on the Isle of Man said that they were being haunted by a talking mongoose who would run around the island and steal bus driver sandwiches and scratch in the walls in the night and talk and generally raise merry hell. And we discovered the whole story because we went to one of these amazing conferences that the Fortean Society do called the Haunted Landscape, all about kind of ghosts of the British Isles. And a man called Christopher Joseph uh, was doing a speech on Jeff the Talking Mongoose. And Jeff the Talking Mongoose was just the most fascinating thing there. Christopher Joseph is sort of Jeff's biographer, I think he describes himself as. And he's written a really brilliant book about Jeff, which kind of collates so much of the history of it and we, we got the book and and met with Christopher and talked to him about Jeff and I don't know he sort of said he told us that like when people find out about Jeff they tend to get very interested in him and uh, he was right because as soon as we found out about him we sort of couldn't get him out of our heads and we've been yeah we felt from really early on that it would make a great story didn't didn't we and that it, we toyed for years with what we would write about it and it was like is this story a play is it a children's book and in the end was a Doctor Who episode, which I don't think episode. either of us anticipated. It was a Doctor Who episode all along. I think Stuart Pringle's brilliant. For a long time, I would read his theatre reviews. He's a, he's a sort of renaissance figure, it seems, who does a million different things, dramaturgy and artistic directorship and all that. But um, he's obviously extremely, extremely clever. And um, But this is um, a collaborative effort, isn't it? So the two of them together, him and Lauren Moody, is, um, yeah, really exciting what they've come up with. So... Um, it was really nice to sort of delve into their imagination. So in this uh, kind of interpretation, I suppose, of the Jeff story, uh, the Doctor, uh, Liv and Helen arrive on the Isle of Man at the same time as psychic investigator Harry Price, who was a, a real character, a real a real person who wrote a, a famous book called The Haunting of Dawlish Cashin, which was kind of his unmasking of the fraud of Jeff the Talking Mongoose. And he made sort of several visits to the Isle of Man to meet Jeff. And we've kind of created a story about what happens when the Doctor, Liv and Helen meet Jeff, but also meet Harry Price, and then also maybe meet something else, something sinister that's also haunting the island. My name is Nicola Walker and I play Liv Chenka. I'm in love with the talking mongoose and I don't care who knows it. He's just delightful. Do we have a Liv? She's here! Shh! Stop! Doctor, how is he doing that? This is a complete story in, in, in an episode. So they 
They're back in 1933, and, and it starts with this great sort of, uh, you know, a barker calling people in to come and see a show. And it's someone who's meant to have psychic capabilities. I mean, it's got great ingredients to it, this episode. And you put on top of that a talking mongoose who seems to be incredibly evil at points. But actually, Je- Jeff, I, I've asked already if, if there could possibly be a spin-off series of Jeff. I am Paul McGann, and I am Doctor Number Eight. You knew that. And I have come to this fine island, your Isle of Man, to discover the truth behind one of the great mysteries of the age. He's got a cheek. That's one way of putting it. My first thought on the uh, the Dalby spook was how good it was to be back on the Isle of Man. I've not been there since I was a teenager, but when we were kids, we used to we used to go there a lot. So on a personal level, it was a it was a good day. It was a day for memories. There we are, and it's all true. The Isle of Man is as weird as that. What's it like? It's you could drive from one side to the other in about an hour. Or yeah, I mean it's little, and uh, there are two or three. Now I'm going to really disgrace myself on it because it's about fifty years since I've been there. But you know, Douglas is the capital, obviously. And there's Laxey and there's Peel, and after that, I'm lost. I can't remember the rest. But this, but it's kind of spooky and weird and gorgeous. And it's not Britain and it's not Ireland. It's just another place entirely. But you, but on good days, you can see both Britain and Ireland if you stand on top of the highest place. It's gorgeous. But like I say, it's proper spooky. And when we were kids, it was a magical place to be. Now I'm talking about it, I'd like to go back. Hello, my name is Philip Jackson and I play Harry Price. I'm from uh, the North, as you probably gathered, and my character was described as a, a Londoner who's trying to, it was middle class, but actually he's trying to speak posh. Uh, well, whether it succeeded in that, but I certainly had it in the back of my mind because that gives you a clue to what kind of a person he is, just the fact that he spends time trying to do that, you know. Hello, I'm Ken Bentley and I'm directing Doctor Who Dalby Spook. I love a, a bit of, what would you call it, sort of psychic, spiritual, they're often my favourite stories. So I've really enjoyed working on Dalby Spook. And remember, you'll find this at bigfinish.com by typing what lies inside into the search pane at the top. You might also like to visit the 8th Doctor collection under our collections tab at the top of the page. And that's the only sure way to find every 8th Doctor release. Hmm... Well, pretty soon now, we'll be giving you a free 15-minute drama tease of Paradox of the Daleks by John Dorney. But first... It's the Randomoid Selectron giving you a 25% discount on a randomly selected Big Finish release. I'm exhausted oh, by the down, thought. Sit down, man. Thank you. What have we well, got? Well, it's we got? Uh, 168 Doctor Who, 1001 Nights. 1001 Nights. Oh, this is, this is Peter Davison, is it? It is. It's Peter Davison and Sarah Sutton. Yeah, it's one of those A ones with lots... Beautiful cover. Yeah. It's got all sorts of stories in it. Yeah. Oh, and I would click the wrong thing on the website and go to the part one freebie. There the we content, are. 1001 Nights, spelt K-N-I. <laughs> Medieval time. Uh, not to be confused with Night of the Stormcrow, which came up just now. Um, yes. Yeah. Oh, it's great, this. Um, who's it by? It's by a load of people. Emma Beebe, Gordon Rennie, Jonathan Barnes, Catherine Harvey, Uncle Tom Cobley, and all. Um, so here's the trailer. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions, Doctor Who, 1001 Nights. Imagine an ordinary house in an ordinary street. A woman named Elizabeth Spinnaker lives here, almost alone, because there's something in this house, you see. Something that turns men's blood to water. No need to be quite so persistent with the bell, sir. I'm terribly sorry, I don't mean to be rude, but time is rather of the essence. We had no choice but to restrain her. Hello there. Sorry to intrude. Greetings, Time Lord. So you dare at last to face me. Here now, oh vile creature. I cast thee out from the body of the innocent. I fling thee back into the abyss from whence thee came. Enough! 
I call that a poor ending indeed. Have patience, O Sultan. This doctor does hunt demons. Yes, and uses magical enchantments to... The doctor escaped! He always escapes. Not from my dungeons, he won't. Ha! Stone walls do not a prison make now. And what is the meaning of this intrusion? Ah. God! Help! There's a criminal here in my room! Help! You have so many stories about this doctor. So many things I still need to know about. Come. Let go of me. Perhaps we can both walk in its gardens again after I have found my TARDIS. Your TARDIS? What do you mean, your TARDIS? Who's next? Ah, yes. What's your poison, sir? Uh, two juices, please. There you go. Two ramble juices. Thank you. Uh, uh, how much do I owe you? Any tale you like. You mean a story? Best price you'll find in these ear parts. We love stories. Subscribers get more at bigfinish.com. Excellent well, I like stuff. it in, the, um, in the, the backstage section there. Peter Davison is asked, how is your new son-in-law, David Tennant? To which she says, I'll knock him into shape over the course of the next couple of years and everything will be all right. Make sure he knows his place. <laughs> <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Right, well, uh, while I email Jackie Emery at Big Finish to make sure she knows which release to attach to the offer, Benji, can you please uh, explain how you get the 25% discount, but not in the style of John Pertwee, because you just kept saying terrible, good boy it? last week. Any any particular favourite voice you I'll like do do? it in the style of Michael, Michael Arino. All you have to do is go to bigfinish.com. <laughs> Head over to the podcast page. <laughs> Once you're there, pull up a chair and oh. click in the blurb. It says just click here. I can't. I, I could have worked that in, you know. Just click here and enter the offer. Enter the code buck up. B U C K U P. Enter it. Buck up. Click there. Enter buck up. You'll get twenty five percent off. Simple as that, really. You know, it's it's just it's just beautiful, beautiful. Thank you, Michael. Well, that's great, isn't it? I'm just finishing sending that email to Jackie. do goes. Now she knows. So it Lovely. goes, so it went. Uh, so, cheers, Ran. Uh, next week's podcast is entitled A Wall Shilling, hey? <laughs> because it features the seventh Doctor, Sylvester McCoy, in an adventure with Harry Sullivan and Naomi Cross. And they're AWOL, absent oh. without leave, you see, A-W-O-L. Plus, the massively successful and really rather brilliant Big Finish original drama by Nigel Fares entitled Shilling and Sixpence. And this is the much-anticipated second series featuring, amongst a gigantic cast, Celia Imry and the late, great, much-missed David Warner. And the release is, appropriately enough, entitled In Loving Memory. Thanks again for all you listening. The Big Finish podcast is presented by me, Benji Clifford, and him, Nick Briggs. Oh, thank you. And he also wrote, produced, and edited it. That's true. And both Benji and I did this for the love of stories, bingo. So now, let's join the Doctor, Helen, and Liv for What Lies Inside, Paradox of the Daleks. That's what. And John Daugherty. Hey. Okay. So we're running. Increasing power. Temporal circuits engaged. Central control systems active. Portal opening. And open. Oh. That was a lot smoother than I'd anticipated. Certainly smoother than the last time. Seems the system upgrades worked, as promised. We should make a note of them. A fully operational time tunnel. After all these years, I can hardly believe it. Even now? But we've learnt so much. Yeah, well, I'm not terribly trusting. Look at it. Look at it. It's, it's beautiful. Don't get distracted. We've a job to do. I know, I know. I was just rather hoping we didn't. This is Jemash. The portal's active and stabilised. The system adjustments were a great success. The alarm? We have incoming. Something is approaching us through the vortex. An unidentified travel capsule. 
There's no way of stopping it. It's a trap. The whole thing's a trap. An invasion. The Daleks are coming. weird. Yes, not the most comforting phrase to hear when one enters the room. Helen, don't worry, I don't mean you. There's nothing odd about you coming in. That's pretty normal, borderline commonplace. That's not what I meant, Doctor, because I know that's not what you meant. So what's the problem? You were looking right at the console when you said it. You know I love travelling with you, but I tend to prefer it when there's nothing strange happening to the TARDIS. There's nothing strange happening to her. Something wrong with her, then. No, not that either. There is nothing wrong with the TARDIS. What's wrong with the TARDIS? Nothing. You see, you've got liver it now. I have to say, that is not the first phrase I want to hear when I come in in the morning. Exactly, I said that. Puts me right off my pastry. Where did you find that, anyway? There's a uh, bakery near the swimming pool. Fully automated. No idea how I've never found it before. Good, though. I have to keep my eye out. Uh, could we please stay on point? The TARDIS is fine, never better. I'm glad to hear it. Or not. I had four weeks till a breakdown in the sweepstake, and it's getting on for five since Baker Street. Much longer, and those two pound coins are mine. You know, I can understand why you'd be concerned, given our recent experiences, but really, there is nothing to worry about. Apart from whatever is weird. Uh, well, yes, there is that. Explain. Well, there's some kind of glitch in the vortex, an extrusion, a loop. Very unusual. For the vortex? A place that defies most rational understanding even on a good day. Correct. I would go into more detail, but I'm not sure that I can. I'm not even sure there's a name for what I'm looking at. It's that rare, which on the plus side means I can probably name it. It always seems like fun. Temporal helix. Maybe that sounds good. So, do we need to take evasive manoeuvres? Prepare for a collision? What? No, 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 no. no. We're not getting particularly close. It's off at the fringes. Very far from our trajectory. Right. Unless, you know, we wanted to. You want to fly us into this very rare temporal phenomenon, even though we're not currently going anywhere near it. Exactly. I knew you'd agree. No, I wouldn't say we agreed exactly. I don't worry, there's nothing to worry about. It's the second time you said that in two minutes. No one has to say there's nothing to worry about when everything's fine. Oh, come on, Liv, Helen. You're, you're scientists, both of you. Where's your spirit of inquiry? We've just encountered something that might potentially be unique in the universe. Is it technically in the universe, if it's in the vortex? Well, let's not split hairs. There's a mystery to solve, an understanding to be had. We get to uncover new knowledge. You can't say no to that, surely. I suppose when you put it like that. Excellent. I knew there was a reason I kept you two around. What exactly are we doing, then? Aiming not at the helix itself, but the source, the place it comes from, in the real universe. If we want to uncover what it is, we need to know how it happens. Happened. Will happen. Wish me luck. Okay, good. Hold on. Why do we need luck? Space station? That's a bit disappointing. Seems like a fairly standard one. I'll take your word for it. I don't think I've been to quite enough space stations to take them for granted, even now. Well, Liv's right. This is pretty much the meat and two veg of the type. A temporal base, maybe, just about. But the location of an unprecedented development in chronal theory, hardly. The technology operating this place isn't advanced enough. And yet this is where it's coming from. Not just coming from, it emanates from here. This exact spot loops out into the vortex, twists like a Mobius strip, and rejoins itself back here. I'm struggling to visualise that. You're not alone. It's tricky for me, which is worrying. It emanates from here. 
But this is just a corridor. Odd, isn't it? Not many people around. No. Do you hear that? That beeping. It's coming from the TARDIS. Some kind of alert. Are we in trouble? We're not, but someone is. It's a temporal SOS. And it's coming from somewhere back on that station. I thought you said there was nothing to worry about. Many times. There wasn't. Not when I said it. But there is now. Yes, I think this signal may have started up the moment we arrived. Almost as if we caused it by landing here. So, what? We need to go? Of course not. If there's trouble, we can't abandon the place. I'm not saying we run away from a crisis, just that... If our landing here is the cause of the problem... We don't know if it'll erase itself if we depart. That's not how cause and effect works. It's much easier to make something happen than unhappen. No, if we are responsible for this, then we have, by definition, a responsibility. To stay and to tidy up. Let's hope it's nothing too onerous. The helix suggests somebody has been experimenting with time. Someone without even close to the right level of technology required to do that. It's the only thing that can possibly have happened. And I'm afraid it's onerous by definition. I'm glad I spoke. At least the signal should guide us to their location, then I can give them a piece of my mind. Even if they need rescuing? Especially if they need rescuing. And they will, from their own incompetence, if nothing else. Where's that tracker? Still not much in the way of people. Which is troubling, but not as troubling as that. Ah, a scorch mark. Yeah. What do you think, Doctor? Blaster fire? Could very well be. Still, I don't hear any gunfire, do you? I don't think I've heard anything since we arrived. This place is as quiet as the grave. I wish I hadn't said that. Except there is one obvious difference. No bodies. If this is laser fire and people were shot, we'd see a few, surely? Unless our killers are very keen to tidy up after themselves. Now, I think this is where we'll find out. The distress signal was triggered in there. Central command, eh? Yeah, nameplates, remember? See how many questions they save? I'm more interested in answers at the moment. Let's get some, shall we? Hello? Anyone home? We're here to help. Intruders! Out, up now! Helen, run! Exterminate! Well, that certainly explains who made the scorch marks. Very probably, yes. What on earth were those things? Robots? Not exactly. You've met them before? All too often. They are the proverbial bad penny. No, no, scratch that. They are the genocidal murderous penny. You're very lucky you haven't encountered them before now. Meaning this is a duck I wouldn't have wanted to break, is that what you're saying? Yes, because most people who meet a Dalek don't get to meet anything else afterwards. A Dalek? They're called Daleks. Amongst other things. You've mentioned them before, I remember. The way you talk, they sounded like some kind of bogeyman. They're not exactly what I pictured. Well, they're not quite how I pictured them either. I think they've had an upgrade. Doctor, we need to get out of here. And we will. I'm just trying to make sure they can't leave that room and follow us. And you don't think there might be more of them out there? Well, I do now. You should hurry. And we don't have to rescue whoever sent that SOS. Whoever sent it will be dead. We don't want to join them. Uh, yes, they sound charming. Right, I think that should probably hold them. It will take, maybe. Then we need to move. I am very much on board with your decision. Run! Well, that was a narrow escape. Thank goodness there weren't any more of them out there. That we saw. We might have just got... Very, very lucky. And take off. You know, I'm not sure I can. No, Doctor. Did you miss the bit about how lucky we got? Why not? Is it the Helix? Well, yes, but not in the sense that it's preventing a launch or anything like that. Then what's the problem? The problem is Daleks, fairly obviously. Daleks in charge of a unique temple phenomena. Yeah. Doesn't sound great when you put it like that. You think they created it? I don't know. They do have time travel capabilities. But that wasn't a Dalek space station. The design was all wrong. Suggesting they've hijacked the place. Stolen the technology somehow. They're probably up to no good. Oh, they're Daleks. Of course they're up to no good. They've come to the territory. You're going to go out there again, aren't you? I think I have to deactivate the Helix. But if these things are as dangerous as you say... Oh, if anything? 
We're underselling them. Don't worry, there is every chance there are just the three of them. And they're still locked inside that command centre. But isn't there every chance that that's where the helix originated? Meaning that there's every chance that's where you'll have to go if you want to switch it off? Well, I mean, it's a possibility, but I am very good. There's bound to be an access point somewhere else I can take advantage of. And if there isn't? Well, then I'll cross that bridge when I come to it. What a stupid saying, as opposed to all the bridges I cross when I'm still a mile away. We're coming with you. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that. No, you aren't. How many times do we have to have this conversation? As many times as it takes you to listen. Look, this isn't just a question of your safety, although believe me, that's always important. It's a question of everyone's safety. Somebody needs to put out a warning. If they kill us all, there's no one who can do that. So you have to stay alive. I'd rather not base our plans around the notion that you're dead. But I might be, that's the point. If I don't come back, you have to go to Gallifrey. Let them know what's happening. Gallifrey? Oh, great. Always love seeing those guys. I'm sure the feeling's mutual, but they are the people to deal with this. Then maybe we should go there right now. That's not how I work, you know that. I am going. I'll be as safe as I can and I'll see you again before you even know I'm gone. Okay. I knew you'd see sense. Right, I would say wish me luck, but that seems lacking in confidence. Good luck. Close the doors behind me. I mean, he is right. The Daleks are incredibly dangerous. If they're here, they're up to something. Something deadly, and we need to warn people. I believe you. Yes. So we record a message for the Time Lords and set the TARDIS to return to Gallifrey automatically if we don't come back. Absolutely. Let's get on with it then. The longer he's alone out there, the longer he's at risk. Access point, access point. Ah, this looks good. Heart? That doesn't. How are you? You don't know? Of course you don't know. I'm no one. Why would you know? You are the one who attempted to trap us in the command centre. Actually, yes. You might remember me from there. That is one of my recent credits. Though I'd like to think I succeeded at least for a little while. You are a scientist? A scientist? Amongst other things. You are one of the scientists from this station? Oh. Does it show? And there I was, thinking I was anonymous. Then you will come with us. Your assistance is required. Assistance, eh? Well, certainly, I'm always glad to help out. I like to think it's one of my better features. By all means, lead on. Follow. Follow. Well, that was predictable. They didn't kill him, though. Just a matter of time with those things. Sounds like they're taking him to the command centre. Then we should probably follow. I'm game if you are. 